Heavenly Father, we thank you to receive our offerings. We pray that you'd use it to meet above and beyond the need, Lord God. Continue to give us discernment where to give, and, and thank you for receiving all that we would give for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 You may be seated. My message today is titled, Diversion Discernment. A couple weeks ago, uh, as we started school, our school started in a different way than I've never experienced it before. We had a lockdown on the first week of school. The times we're in. And there was a lockdown because of, I know a lot of you have heard about that, but there was a lockdown because of a fake bomb threat. And as the truth later emerged, it was determined that a would-be criminal called several local schools and a hospital in Grayling. His plan was to cause a diversion to move all the law enforcement in one direction so he could rob a bank in Rose City. It took a lot of planning and scheming to pull off this crime. And that's exactly what he was able to do. Thankfully, our trained law enforcement professionals eventually tracked him down and apprehended him in another county. What does this have to do with us here today? We must be ever aware and alert that we are not focusing our entire attention on diversions or only part of the truth. A diversion sends you in a different direction or it causes you to focus on one aspect while missing out on the whole picture or missing out on the main aspect. The enemy is banking on the hopes that we won't study the Word of God, that we won't walk that we won't ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our understanding and that we will not walk in the full power and authority that God has given us. If we are not diligent to seek God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength, then we risk the chance of being left to stand in fear and confusion and doubt and disillusionment as the enemy seeks to thwart the eternal purposes of of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18 tells us that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, We must stand together and acknowledge our need for the Holy Spirit to open the Scriptures for us so that we are not living off of our revelations of truth, but we are living off of God's revelations of truth to us. With this premise, we turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I know this is a familiar passage, but I want to go a little deeper today. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. This was immediately after he was followed uh, John the Baptist in the waters of baptism. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. One of the greatest diversions in Bible study is to use modern definitions or our current understanding to define the words of the Bible. 
Jesus fasted for 40 days and then the, when the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Let's begin with what the text does not say. It doesn't say when he had starved himself or when he stopped eating. It says when he had fasted. If we do not understand the biblical discipline of fasting, we will continue to miss the meat of this passage. We will only get a small grazing of the entire harvest of truth that God gives us here. What does it mean to fast biblically? What is the spiritual and the practical purpose of fasting? Well, if we look back at the whole Bible, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 and 7, talks about a biblical fast. It says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. See, fasting is not a magic a formula that attempts to get God moving for us. On the contrary, fasting is focus, focuses us on God in putting us in step with what God is already doing. Fasting is not about starving yourself and making yourself feel miserable the whole time because you're trying to use your own will to give up food or another craving. Biblical fasting that God designs involves feeding bodily cravings with spiritual nourishment. In other words, when you fast for a day, or you fast for a meal, or even if you postpone a meal for a little while and fast, you don't just refrain from eating by attempting to deny your hunger. Fasting requires that you say no to cravings for food or TV or the internet or whatever. But then you use your hunger during that time to push you and to drive you to God through prayer and through worship and through reading and meditating on His Word. And instead of locking yourself out of the world as you suffer from not eating, you are empowered by God's presence to do His will and to intercede for others and to respond to His call to serve through pure motives. Fasting in your own strength causes you to withdraw and to think of yourself and your needs, like about how hungry you are and how much you need food. But if your focus remains inward, you will eventually give in to temptation in order to satisfy your desires. But fasting that is ordained by God causes an outward extension to put others' needs above your own. See, when Jesus fasted in the wilderness, He put others' needs, in fact, He put our needs above His own. His fasting prepared him for one day when he would be in the garden about three years later and the devil would tempt him to give up, to quit. It's not worth it. Yeah, you're really dying for these people. They're still sinning. Do they even notice what you're doing? And because he had learned in the, in the desert to say no to the enemy, to feed on, the, on, on God's Word and to be in His presence, he was able to put our needs above his so that he could go to the cross and through the cross for us. Jesus' resolve was forged in the wilderness when he said no with every part of his body, soul, and spirit. A godly fast causes God's word and his presence to be our complete sustenance for a portion of time. Now I know what a lot of people say, well, that's Jesus. 
Jesus can go 40 days without food, but he's Jesus. How can we possibly do that? Do you know there was someone else in the Bible that went 40 days without food? A human. Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. When Moses went up to receive the commandments from God, our Bible tells us, so he was there, speaking of Moses, he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and this is in the desert. And he wrote on the tablets of the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. God's word and his presence was enough to sustain Moses for 40 days. No, I'm not telling any of you to go 40 days without food or water. But I am telling you that with God, all things are possible. God's presence has to be enough for us enough for us at certain times in our life. The world will always tell you you need something more to fill that hole or to, to fill that void. And we need to say, no, Christ is enough. The point of a biblical fast is to satisfy our hunger with spiritual nourishment and not what we crave from the world. In doing so, we condition ourselves to deny our flesh by feeding our spirit with God's Word and His presence. We say no to temptation by saying yes to the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus did for 40 days when He fasted in the wilderness. After being led into this time by the Holy Spirit. Which means I don't just do a fast because I think that's the cool thing to do. I don't do a fast because I think I want to lose weight. That's not a biblical fast. But when God calls us during a special time, like setting the vision for our church, I know God has called to me into a fast for that purpose because it's so worthy to find the discernment from God to know that right vision to cast for the church. We need to spend time with God believing that He is enough. I can't tell you what God's calling you to do. I can just share you with what He's calling me to do. But when that time comes, we need to know that Christ is enough. When Jesus did this, he was able to put his focus completely on God's will and not divert any food or attention to feed the temptations of the enemy. Listen, Jesus wasn't depleted and vulnerable. He was hungry and ready. There's a big difference. That's why his response was immediate every time the enemy tempted him. Jesus had prepared his heart, body, mind, soul, and spirit with the sustenance of God his Father. When we allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, which means to set us apart, to become daily dependent upon Him, we prepare ourselves for anything the enemy may throw at us. Matthew 4.3 Now when the tempter, that's the enemy, now when the tempter came to Him, Jesus, the, the, the tempter said to Him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Not only does the enemy challenge Jesus' authority, if you are the Son of God, but he tries to tell Jesus how to respond. How many know that the enemy still operates the same way today by trying to circumvent our connection to God in prayer? This common diversionary tactic is used by the devil. He allows us to ask God for something in prayer, but then before we wait on God to answer it, the enemy tells us how we should meet that need on our own or in our own strength or by our own resources. 
Before we can even begin to stand on faith, the enemy convinces us that we need to have a backup plan. God, I'm going to pray this, but if it doesn't happen, I'll just do this. Anybody else ever done that besides me? We all do. That's, that's the enemy. The enemy tries to get us to not stand in faith. To not trust God when it seems like there's no way it can happen. So we come up with a plan B. If God doesn't answer our prayer the way we think it should be answered, or in the time we think it should happen, I will tell you the complete opposite. When we applied for this church, and before I even got an interview, I know you've heard the story, but before I even got an interview, I applied for a job in Grayling and got the job and took the job with a huge pay cut before I even knew this was, I even got an interview here. And I felt God saying, are you willing to trust me? And I told a couple of people and they thought I was nuts. They probably still do. <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> Not the pastoral search committee. And, and, and standing out of faith just means trusting God because we've spent time knowing His voice and discerning His voice. And so when we do that and trust God for even what seems you can't see in the natural, but it's already happened in the spiritual. That's why we need discernment so we don't step out in wrong directions. But God is faithful. Unfortunately, this diversionary tactic of the enemy to have you have a second plan it thwarts many would-be prayers of faith. We must understand that God's will is perfect and that He is sovereign and that as we wait on Him, He will give us what we need. We must allow God alone to direct us through His Word and not allow the enemy to direct our paths. Jesus saw right through this diversion and did not allow the enemy to dictate His response. Matthew 4.4, our memory verse for this week. Jesus answered, and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. First of all, Jesus declared that God is our sustenance. He is our daily bread, giving us what we need each and every day in every circumstance if we go to him and learn to depend on him. Jesus did not hesitate in giving his reply because he had been living his reply for the past 40 days. He had been feeding only on the Word of God for 40 days. Second of all, we must look at Jesus's the entirety of His response. Because many people walk away from the Scripture and they just say, whenever you're tempted, you just got to stand on the Word of God. That's one portion of it. But many times we don't look at the full uh, response when we study this passage. It says here very clearly that we live on every word. Every word, not just His Word. What's that mean? It means that we must have a balanced intake of His Word, the Old and the New Testament, the history and the prophecies, the Psalms and the Epistles, the Gospels and the Judgments. We live on every word. Unfortunately, a growing number of churches today are not offering a balanced diet of His Word. They have become more interested in filling seats than filling hearts. They speak about the positive things without sharing a, a, a full balance. As a result, many are not teaching every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Many have resorted to what's often called cherry-picking by picking one verse out of Scripture, then wrapping it with human logic, using man's ideas to sway the thinking of others while denying the full truth of God. 
through conviction and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Cherry picking is an unbalanced diet mixed in with junk food. You know the kind that we would pick if we didn't have to worry about our weight? It's like a skinless chicken breast surrounded by deep-fried Oreos, a handful of candy corn, a bag of chips, and a big energy drink. Right? Many teachers today and preachers today are trying to grow their churches by telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Yet Jesus tells us that we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does a balanced diet include? Well, a balanced diet of God's Word includes things like this. John 1.17 tells us the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus brought, brought both grace and truth. He brought a balance. The grace He offers us is forgiveness of sins and eternal life through His sacrificial death on the cross. But the truth he brings is that it's not automatically available to us. We must repent first. Repentance is not talked about in a lot of churches today. Yet we must repent first. We must turn to God and choose to place our trust in Him. We must acknowledge our need for a Savior in order to be forgiven and redeemed. Jesus is not simply a better way. He is the only way. John 14.6 tells us, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. We must acknowledge Jesus is the only way, that He died for our sins. We don't just get beamed into heaven automatically like on Star Trek. Boom, you're there. It's not, it's not how it works. We must choose Him. We have to come to Jesus in repentance and faith in what He has done for us. Grace and truth together came through Jesus Christ. Well, the second part of a balanced diet would be 2 John 1.3. It tells us, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. See, through truth and love, we are called to speak what is necessary to open one's heart for conviction and change. A biblical love doesn't just leave people lost in their sins without hope. Don't ever think that you shouldn't share Jesus with someone because you don't want to offend them or make them feel uncomfortable. This is not love. And while some are in desperate need right now, desperate for hope, just waiting for someone to bring them the key to their bondage, there are others who don't even know they are lost because they are betting their eternity on wrong beliefs. Let me tell you a little story. Back in the Old West, there was a number of men who were upstairs at a boarding house amusing themselves with a game of cards. And suddenly there was a cry from the street below, Fire! Fire! The men looked at one another in disbelief and one of the windows grew orange with the flames. Wait, said the dealer. Let's just finish this hand. We've got plenty of time. Besides, I have a key to the back door. The men nodded in approval and then quickly picked up their dealt cards. Precious minutes passed. One of the men became nervous as flames licked through the now broken window. With darting eyes and a sweat-filled brow, he asked for the key. 
coward, muttered the dealer as he tossed across the key across the table. Each of them then got up from the table and nervously rushed to the door and waited with bated breath as the key was placed into the lock. It won't turn, he cried. Let me have it, said the dealer. As he tried in vain to turn the key, he turned around and whispered in horror, It's the wrong key. Do you understand that there are many people out there right now all around us who are betting eternity on their beliefs of how to get there? Many wrongfully believe that if they can just outweigh their bad with more good, then they'll make it to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. Why is it that they get to pick how they get to heaven? I once heard it said this way, listen, when you get your own set of planets, when you get your own earth and moon and stars, when you get your own galaxies, then you can make the rules. Until then, we're going to trust the one who's created it all. God said and Jesus said there's only one way to the Father. It's through Jesus Christ. Other people foolishly think that because God is love, He would not send anyone to hell. Guess what? God sends sin to hell, and if people refuse to let go of their sin, then they go there. It's what our Bible says. It's not preached in a lot of churches today. Therefore, many people conclude that everyone has to be in heaven, regardless of how they live, regardless of how they think, regardless of what they believe. But if you read the entire Bible, if we truly live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you'll know there's only one way to the Father. What would heaven be like if we got there and, and oh, so-and-so got there because he did a lot more good than us? That wouldn't be heaven. There's only one way that heaven could be a perfect place of peace is if everybody got there the same way. Everybody got there because we are all sinners. We have all messed up. But because we've appropriated Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, We've accepted his sacrifice. That is what makes us all one. We have to go through Jesus. God's way. We have to trust him. If you read the Bible, there's only one way to the Father. That one way goes through Jesus. We have to repent and come to him, accepting his death on the cross as the only payment for our sins that God will accept. And we're still going to mess up. We're still going to fall. We're still going to fail. We're still going to sin. But we come to God and we receive that amazing grace that we sang about just moments ago. There are people right now, friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, and others that have, they think they have all the time in the world. And what they don't realize is that they have the wrong key. If we are truly Christians, we have to share this truth, but we share the truth in love. That's the balance. We share the truth in love. If you know someone that's not trusting Jesus right now and you continue to hang out with them but never share with them the one hope that they need, how is that love? If you know someone who has fallen away from church and the body of Christ because of a wound or an offense and you don't encourage them to come back to a right standing with God and with others, then how is that love? Jesus has called all of us to speak the truth in love. That is our assignment. If you don't know how to begin, then start praying. If you don't know what to say, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And if you get stuck, then invite them to church where we continue to give a balanced diet of grace and truth and love. 
Well, a third part of our balanced diet includes John 16.33, another message that's not taught in a lot of the churches today. Jesus spoke, he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The truth straight from Jesus is that we will face troubles and trials and tribulation, but we are to be of good cheer knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. As we trust God through our difficult times, He brings us close to His heart, sustaining us with His presence until we all enter into eternal life with Him. However, many modern-day preachers are not teaching that life can be extremely difficult at times. They're only teaching that Jesus gives you an abundant life and that He has a fantastic plan for your life and how incredible it is if you follow Jesus and all your problems will be washed away. This is going on right now. Consequently, when trials come, like Jesus said they would, these people often stumble and fall away because they feel God let them down. I don't know if you've been following this in the news, but it's heartbreaking when I've seen it. An alarming number of modern-day worship leaders and preachers are leaving the faith and even becoming atheists. And taking their own li- and in some of them are taking their own lives because the gospel that they have been teaching doesn't line up with real life. It's an alarming reality and truly heartbreaking that these false teachings have impacted real lives and people have built their houses on crumbling foundations. They have not been teaching every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't ever think that the more that you become like Jesus, the easier your life will be. Because Jesus was perfect. He led a perfect life. He never sinned once. He never gave in to temptation. And yet He was mocked and He was criticized. He was talked about in the square. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was whipped and scourged and beaten and crucified and everyone deserted Him. And He was perfect. But He did that for us, for you. So that as we put our trust in Him, we have access to His amazing grace. There is no decision that is more satisfying and absolutely worth it than choosing to follow Jesus. Indeed, in this world we will all have trouble, but be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. He has risen to forgive us of our sins and to give us a new life in Him. And now He asks, us, each of us, to trust Him. To be a reflection of His grace and of His truth and love to a world that needs Him now greater than ever before. He calls us not to be swayed in our faith by a diversion from the truth. He calls us to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And when we truly realize that Christ is indeed enough for us, the world will have no grip on us. 
And the message of Jesus will reverberate through this earth, setting captives free, breaking the bonds of addiction and shame, and restoring relationships, drawing us inseparably together as the redeemed body of Christ. Jesus has called us to be bold in our faith for such a time as this. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for every word that proceeds from Your mouth. May we take it to heart. May we uh, meditate on Your Word. May we read Your Word. May we uh, understand. And Holy Spirit, we ask You to enlighten our understanding. Give us a revelation of who You are to each of us in every situation. Help us to trust You even when it seems difficult, when it seems impossible. Be with us, Lord God. Prepare our hearts to seek You and to give us a revelation to know that Christ is enough for us. We thank you for your word today to penetrate our hearts and minds and to change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.